everybody, and welcome to episode 498. I said that right, Gabe. 498 of Constructive Criticism. I'm your host, Heezy. I'm joined by Pro Tour competitor, Abe Stein. You know, 498 is so many, and I don't even remember what the exact... I never remember the number. I tell, I've, told you like, I've told you multiple times you're starting. I know, I'm just bad with numbers. I'm uh, just going to have to look I it up. I do know that I was here for four for 400, though. Yeah. And definitely for 365, I remember that one. So probably is coming up on like what? That makes it like near the 150 I think, mark. I think you're like creeping up on like beating out KC and Matt for like most episodes. I mean, yeah, I'm getting close to the 200 mark. Yeah. We're, we're up there, which is crazy to me still. Yeah, we are going to be talking about Abe's Pro Tour experience. Uh, Mason uh, got home. His voice isn't feeling well. Got that, that, that you know, post convention sore throat and he, you know where mason take a week off it's fine that guy uh, that guy gabs yeah. I, I got some chance to hang out with mason in person which is always a blessing and man he just talks we are going to talk about mason today we're going to talk about the pro tour we're going to talk a little bit about standard a little bit about pioneer before we do that we want to talk about always improving and i can i hijack always improving to kind of a, a vent or a rant for me this week abe Speaking at an RCQ, I was unfortunate again to get an unintentional draw, which I don't think I've ever had at an RCQ. Um, I had one in a 1K playing the Mason's Urion deck uh, in the mirror match. I got a I got an unintentional draw there, but like that was my last unintentional draw in Magic. And you know this player that I was playing against, he had already had an unintentional draw, and then even in his win and it had to get a concession out of a third unintentional draw in a five-round tournament. And I, I don't know this person. Um, this is the first time I've ever played against them. They were really nice. But I, I want to talk about play clock equity because I have a really big problem with players who unfairly use the play clock, that they see 50 minutes as a shared 50 minutes that anyone has access to at all times, and in all things, and in all play, like, it is crazy to me the amount of gabbing and decision-making. And a few weeks ago, I talked about, like, that's not fair. Like, you should be trying to use 25 minutes of that clock at most. And if you're using more than that, then you're taking advantage of the rules. And I I just, it really upsets me, you know, as the control, as the control player, people are like, oh, well, like, you're going to get unintentional draws with that because like it's really hard to win fast it's like no i can see the game going really quickly uh my opponent would not concede after they were dead for many turns uh against blue white like they they had no chance of winning and just kept playing and not only did they keep playing they like kept like doing things that didn't matter and you know it, it's hard it's like one who's whose fault is this really like i picked a deck that people are prone to not concede against, right? That they're like, oh, just like if I get my out, if I get my out, if I get my out. And like, that's not how it works, right? Because I have cards too. But what I have a really big problem with is if you're talking to me, every time I cast a spell, you talk about how cool my deck is. You talk to me about my sleeves. You talk to me about my playmat. You talk to me like, it's like, dude, like I'm playing a blue-eyed control deck. We need to play magic. And I think that more often than not, we as magic players need to consider like there if we finish our match we can talk after we can communicate after and i i don't want to be held hostage 
to you using the play clock. That is not fair. And I I don't know that I don't think my opponent slow slow played. I think that they did things within the rules, but I have once again, I'm just gonna say I think the rules are broken. I think that in a perfect world we would have a chess clock where that could not have happened. I took up probably less than 17 minutes of that 15 minutes. And that that is unfair to me for a person that is like you know, I'm I'm a really honest magic player. We obviously had a tweet go viral about my you know calling judges on myself like this this year, and I just I can't handle it anymore. And I, I'm gonna get on my soapbox. I'm gonna say this: hold yourself accountable. And to me, I'm gonna say I need to be more forward about this type of stuff because I'm really scared, Abe of presenting myself as like, hey, you need to play faster and we need to stop talking. Because I don't want to offend people. I'm like scared of hurting people's feelings. And part of that has to do with the podcast. Part of that has to do with, you know, being known in Utah Magic. And like, it's hard. And it's something that I need to fix. But, you know, at the same time, I really hope people realize like how rude it is to hold, hold your opponent hostage in a match of magic. It's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, pace play is always tough. And I think especially as more players come in from digital where that's managed for you to paper where it's not, that's like, continues to be more and more of a growing pain. Like in um, the sealed PTQ at MagicCon, there was like a lot that I saw of things like that, of players who like, and even some players, uh, you know, watching like some of the construction events, watching some of the standard uh, event, like when I was walking by and burning that. Players just didn't really have the kind of mechanics or like the kind of understanding of like, okay, how long am I taking here? Or like, what what is a reasonable like amount of time to make a decision? And it, it can be hard. Uh, you know, like I think that I personally like just as a bit of like you know my anecdotal experience with it. Like, I will hold a lot of conversation while we're shuffling, while we're like presenting deck and stuff. But I was this happened to me in the like the top the, the two slaughters P- no this was uh the four slot pt like rebound oh, PTQ it, where it. like all the pt yeah. players played and it was single elimination so it was like the round before the finals um i'm playing against a really really nice um guy from uh australia who is playing lotus and we're kind of talking about you know the event life i was talking about my job talking about like you know we're just having like a really good conversation and I mulligan to six in game two, like while we're kind of like picking up where we left off between game one. And I like finished my sentence and like he goes through like responding like, hey, I'm bottoming this card and just like play my land and pass. And we just play from there, right? Like, right, like right. I'm just, I cut off the conversation really naturally. I was like, I'm not gonna, right? Like yeah, I'm not I, continuing this or like, hey, like we can talk after, like let's just go. I agree. And make the game what and, it is. And it's, that, it's hard, especially at a local level when yeah. it's not, someone who you're just meeting or like someone who it's not like I'm playing in someone who just played the pro tour. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's my, I was improving on it. Also, yeah, my deck was um, sweet by the way, Abe, it was really good. So just say no. My always improving moment. I don't know. It's like hard to know even where to begin. There's just a lot that you get out of the PT. <laughs> like when you're, when you're working, preparing for a, a pro tour and you're, even playing it and like the experience you get in it. Like I got to play, I died in round seven of the pro tour, but I got to play. That means seven matches, including drafting with 
just some of the best magic players in the world. Dude, your um, draft pod was uh, was something. It was. I uh, I also think I came within a hair of escaping with a much better better record than I than I did. I mean, I was literally downwind of uh, of Jesse Hampton, and then to his right was Seth. Yeah. So it was like I'm downwind of the undefeated player after day one and the eventual winner. Um, in my draft pod, it was tough, but I'm gonna say like pretty blanketed. My biggest always improved moment of the weekend, probably just how completely divorced from the result of my matches I was able to be. Like all in all, we'll get into it uh, a bit, but like my events every event i played this weekend i won very few matches of magic this weekend i played the pro tour where i went two five and and dropped i played a steel ptq where i had a very hard pool to build i think i built it really well and then i lost my first two matches and dropped i played uh the ptq rebound where i won three matches and then lost in the fourth and that was really all the magic i played but i came away from the entire experience and everything and, and even going through all those losses in just a really, really good mental space, you know, like feeling really good about how I'd played. And even though I, you know, have fallen back off the tour, um, you know, after kind of knowing I was gonna be playing this event for so long, I just felt so good about the process, the preparation, all of it together and like taking away what I have from it in terms of the players I got to work with. Um, I hope I get to work with again, you know, the, the matches I got to play, the experiences I got to have um, and everything. And, and that was so much more enhanced. And I feel like I played so much better overall and was really like playing at a high level because I was just enjoying the, that piece of it, just enjoying the gameplay I was, I was having and, and trying to make the right decisions all the time. And that, has stuck with me for the last few months, I feel like. And even like into into qualifying, I feel like that's kind of been where I've been at. But to really feel it on the level of I just had my worst PT performance to date. I like one to my draft pod with a deck I thought was better than that. I felt like I couldn't buy a win and constructed. It was like like my deck was just not functioning um in a lot of spots. I had like some really, really tight decision calls that maybe I made like the second best decision or, you know, just, just came up a little bit short, like these really tough games and, you know, lost a lot of them. But at the end of it, like, you know, I'm not qualified for the next pro tour. That's fine. Uh, you know, I, I believe myself to be able to get back. I'll continue doing what I'm doing and continue playing at the caliber I'm playing at. And uh, to feel that secure in just my performance and all that is really something that I have not, necessarily felt at the other times in my life where i've qualified for the pro tour i love it i think yeah yeah we can get more into that i yeah. think I, uh, I mean, I, we're gonna we're gonna dive into to both your pro tour and the pro tour overall but i i don't know it that is the mental space that i think that a lot of players you know when they finally i mean when they finally reach it start to actually do better at these things and like you know really you know go, go further and, you know, there's some people that, you know, just right off the bat are just crushers, right? But um, I, I really love where your head is at, and I think that it's going to help you. If you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash ccmg, become a patron of the show. Um, $5 or more gets you into the Discord, gets you the bonus episodes. Gets you, I mean, $5 or more gets you everything. Uh, you know, there's there's a ton of things going on in there. 
um, and we really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to share our sponsors. We have Heavy Play. This is one of our sponsors. You can use the code CCMTG for 10% off at Heavy Play. Uh, or just click the link, link in the show notes and head on over there. Untapped GG is our other sponsor. And this week, I got to old man it, dude. I was, like, playing the Vamps deck. And I was like, I don't even remember how many matches I played because I'm, like, watching kids doing other stuff between it. And I was able to go back and see, okay, I played four red-black decks, but I only played three Vampire Nears uh, in the five matches that I played. The other match, of course, was against the blue-black uh, gaming Seaf deck. But that that's so cool to, like be able to do that because I struggle with that so much when I'm not taking notes or when you're like queuing, 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 you want to look back on like, okay, how am I actually doing things like that? I just think that untapped GG is a great resource. Use our affiliate link in the show notes. And it, it actually just every time you do it and every time you sign up, it's a kickback to the show. So let's go to our main topic. We're going to talk about the PT. We're going to talk about magic fest, but I want to start with you, Abe. We talked about this a little bit. I just want to ask you worked with Sanctum of all, uh, for this pro tour, um, yes, I did. And I just what what was preparation preparation like? So um, I gotta say, like, it was a really really cool experience. Get to work with such a high caliber team. Like a lot of people, a lot of players who maybe a lot of people don't know, or maybe only half like the top five names on that team people really knew. But everyone was really in there, giving it their all, um, all through the process, and like. Um, for me, my involvement, like knowing, uh, especially with some like real life stuff that had come up, I was probably not going to have as much time to really get into the trenches with constructed with pioneer as some of the rest of the team. And I was still going to try to like, and I still was able to be around like jam some matches of decks as they were getting solidified, um, be a sounding board for ideas and, and focus on, you know, having my, my limited opinions come together and, and talk through drafts, people and bird for that stuff. So that was really like a lot of my contribution, but overall team kind of landed in three camps. There was a camp of players who wound up playing Rakdos midrange, uh, kind of championed by Jake Beardsley. There were a few players who played Is It Phoenix, including um, including Rainey. And then there was like five or six of us that wound up playing the Jeskai creativity deck that if you were watching coverage, you might've seen... Um, my teammate Jason make a very very deep run in the event, lose like two winning ends on their part, um, and they really between them and Kane, the two of them did an immense amount of work in like creating that deck, making sure the mana worked, talking over every slot, and that was something that just being a part of those conversations, you know, giving my feedback, my feel, kind of talking through things from a high level. Um, you know, seeing them play the games and talk about it uh, and kind of the process for how that deck came to be of combining some of the ideas floating around between different camps and some information that we had like stumbled into through some people playing leagues and kind of like starting to reverse engineer other teams' decks that they were working with and things like that. It really led to um, that Jeskai deck being what it was, where I think it was, if not for maybe the, like the Is It Phoenix matchup was still very close um, might even be a little Phoenix leaning, but like all of our other matchups, Amalia, uh, like traditional Rakdos, Rakdos Vampires kind of took us off, took us off guard a bit, but like Amalia, um, Convoke might have been like one of our 
I think Convoke was like our worst matchup of all the ones that were out there, and that deck was not one we expected to be very good. And everything else, we had really good game against. We were I, we all felt like favored in the blue white matchups after kind of breaking down where we thought the minigame game would be like. Where it was like Lotus, Lotus, blue white, Rakdos, Phoenix, and Amalia would be like the top five decks, and then some amount of floating around these other things. We really nailed it on that based on the feel of things. Um, like getting to really sit in and listen to a lot of conversations and be part of a lot of conversations around, okay, what are the decks and the fringes that we should make sure we're caring about? And, you know, how are we really allocating all the slots? Um, you know, in Limited, we had a total of like eight hours of discussion of every single card in the set and kind of like ranking Limit, it. In... Limited meetings are the literal most fun thing in Pro Tour testing. I just got to say, I'm so jealous. They re draft meetings are really really fun. They're also a lot of organizational work and a lot of you like. You just need a Spencer, man. That's what I do. Yeah, you need need someone who can who can who can lead it so that you don't get off topic and you get, don't get derailed. We spent a lot of time like, you know, kind of making sure we weren't getting in the weeds. But coming out of it with like what we felt was a really really strong um, approach to the format, a really good understanding of it. It really a big takeaway I had from it was something that I kind of forgotten in the era of doing like draft leagues and uh kind of thinking that this is more of only a like team draft thing of taking like the value of just taking the strong cards and trying to make sure you have the strongest cards available to you and working around that as we were all kind of talking over how we would draft to try to 3-0 to 3-0 pod uh as that being like the goal because in pod play and, and it was just a lot of like really really great opportunity insight not only like share what i had but also what um what the team had ultimately like really jason and kane had done such a good job on that jessica deck that it was hard for me to say no to it it made a lot of sense to me from the view i was i was taking on the format of like i don't really want to play a lot of arclay phoenix mirrors or run the chance that people overcorrect in their sideboards and like have a lot of um a lot of hate for the deck uh, like i know that misplaced ginger was playing leyline of the voids in his Rakdos sideboard because he just talked to a lot of Phoenix players and just kept asking, what's the Graveyard Hate spell that is the most yeah. troublesome about Rakdos? What should I play? And they're like, yeah, Leyline of the Void is like probably the hardest. And so he was like, all right, well, that's the one I should play. If all of the people I'm talking to say like that's the one they want to see the least, that's the one I should play the most of and kind of like reloading um, the deck from there. So like if that had happened on a wide scale, you know, the deck did very well at the tournament, but uh, it wasn't really where I wanted to be and it's it was kind of deck that I think would have really worn me down and not been where I wanted to be versus a deck I felt really, really comfortable with with the amount of reps I had in playing like the Jeskai control deck with uh, Creativity Atraxa. So, so I, that's I, kind of how my how I, my prep went as a very high level. I really just want to say again, I'm very grateful for Sankval letting me test with them. They're a fantastic team of, um, of players, most all of whom are underrepresented in Magic. And that was just a really, really cool thing to bring, like my years of experience, and and be able to offer what I what I could, and what I did, um, and also get to benefit from some of the most talented minds of Magic I've I've worked with in, awesome. in memory. So, well, I I gotta say, like, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Kane's six four is nothing to like ignore. I th I think that like, if if anything. I might still run this through a league or two to like 
you know, see see what what the the masses could give your constructed deck because you know I, I think that Yorion creativity is like a really interesting take on the creativity deck and could solve a lot of the problems that the creativity deck has overall. Like obviously your guys' list is extremely tuned when you look at the numbers, but I would I would not be shocked to know that like there is something within Yorion creativity that is, you know, you, you talked a little bit about it in our, in our discord, but like, you know, like, okay, like, if, you know, the other lists relied really heavily on Shark Typhoon. Some of the new lists they want to do, that they're planning to do some like understanding what the 80 cards could be instead of that 60. That was so like, there were just were not a lot of flex spots in the red, the, the uh, red blue deck. And to be honest, if you think about like, you know, not relying on a combo and just having like, oh, I just can fit four creativities in because I'm an 80 card Yorion deck. That's a whole different type of deck that I, I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, there was that was kind of came out of uh, a big desire by a lot of the team and something they'd worked on for a long time. Um, before stumbling into, like, creativity being the angle they wanted to take and trying to make that mana work to have, like, lockdown creativity and, like, memory delusion a deck was there's a player, Talia, and Fair Take on Jeskai was to take... was to put Fable and, like... I think they played Regal Caracal as, like, a value thing to, like, copy with it and just, like, have a way to, like, really just take over a board. And... Uh, Faye requalified. So Talia did a really good job with that deck. I think they went like four two and limited and six four and constructed to to ten six and requalify with that same kind of take. And so that approach was really like, okay, let's take an, the existing Yorion deck and push Yorion a little bit further and find a way to make our deck more proactive. And the creativity stuff really did that. I liked it enough that I was still really confident and comfortable playing it in the PTQ on Sunday when you're able to audible decks. Like, I could have tried to find a copy of Arclay Phoenix. I had friends at the event. Like, I could have found just another deck in general. Um, but I ran it back, and, like, even my... my The game I lost to lose that match, I felt like I could have played a little bit better um, to not get, like, exactly, like, two cards... Like, exactly the right two cards on my opponent to kind of break me up and um and and draw out of the situation they were in to to win the one as lotus but it was just like a lot of great work by them the deck really does feel good to play but i'm not sure right now it's very good because i think the rakdos vampires matchup is pretty tough that deck is very very good against the blue light archetypes i i'm curious is there anything from your event that we haven't talked about we kind of covered most of it um but is there anything from your event uh, that you want to talk about, or do, should we move on to, like, I don't know. Like, we have we have what we learned this podcast at the end of the show, but, like, is there anything that you learned from the event uh, that you want to cover? You know, I think the thing, and it's more like a personal thing for me, this event really taught me a lot, and especially working with this team taught me a lot about, you know, a lot of the diligence that goes into kind of iterating and deck building in a way I hadn't seen before, seeing that process was really great um and being a part of that process was really great and even just playing at the pt level against the players i did i learned like i don't know you just learned so much about like the small things from like playing and watching at that caliber it's hard to like really quantify it with like a, a takeaway you know um except for maybe that 
it's like plan beats no, beats no plan at like such a high level. Seeing Kane and Jason succeed with a deck that they poured, like, you know, probably combined a hundred hours into, hundred hours preparation into, and like as a team, like you know, somewhere around that around that number, put that much time into, and seeing their success, like it, that process that they have and that I was going to be a part of really does work, and it really just affirmed for me like combining the process with the really really tight technical play that those players have and and that we all strive for like that is what it takes to succeed at that level and it's just a such a such a strong reminder it's hard to not like come away from playing a pt without feeling like i want to go back there and do it better the next time because i like i see all the times where i could have played perfect or i could have played a little bit better and maybe gotten that edge maybe had things break my way like you know that one percent more often you know if i get that one win maybe i win my last round and i make day two right like it's always that feeling and always that chase um and and that's really really my biggest takeaway from all of it i love it well i you know i don't want to take too much time on the show i got to watch a lot of the pt i got to follow really closely on twitter i you know i even when we were at oasis like in the the rcq like their their front tv had the pt on and like you know we we will got to walk over there and just watch the PT talk about what's going on and, th- and things like that. And I watched basically the entire top eight. Um, I did miss some of the winning ends and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, had it on the background during test during my play testing and things like that really, really had a magic filled weekend. It felt like in a lot of ways for me as a spectator, like the old days for me where like, you know, I would grind magic, I would consume magic, I would breathe, live and breathe magic, and I really loved it, Abe. And there there were a lot of things. The first thing is, the second that I saw that there was a Vampire's deck, I went to go look at it. You know, I, I also saw your deck, uh, bef- I think right before the article dropped, you posted the... Did you know that your deck was going to be in the, like, this this article of, like, the spiciest... I assumed it would be because of just the fact it was a really uncharted territory for the format that had been had been paved. I did put it in the Discord with the approval of my teammates. Like, yeah. you know, it was like once deck lists had been locked in, it's an open right. deck list tournament. Nothing did you guys know that the article was going to come out? We did not. There, I don't know that, that anyone was contacted about like that deck being highlighted. Okay, um, I that I that was it was funny because like you you posted in the Discord and it had to be like eight hours later or something the article goes up and i was like well all right well yeah i really i hope some people if this deck is sweet i hope our our patrons got some leagues in with it but yeah so i I like read that article and and saw the the vamps deck and i was just like okay this is something like soren has always had that like the potential meter i don't know really know what to call it where you're like this is a three mana planeswalker that obviously is if stuff is good is like crazy right and I don't know. I I uh, I was just looking at the mono black vampire deck by Paul Rietzel. I I was trying to see if Paul tested with CFB. I was going to be interested to know if like he if they just did not agree. Luckily, we will have a person on our podcast next week that can give us the info and the behind the scenes of how that deck came to be. But uh, it was really cool. Like uh, you know, it, it it's it's different viewing a tournament that Seth is in the top eight for me. Now, having worked closely with Seth for a year and just 
viewing him as a friend and like, you know, I, I hope that, you know, if you, if you haven't been listening, you don't know. It's like Seth did a year on CC as my ghost and I just, I respect him and, and his, his just insane ability to just play matches of magic. Uh, the way that he carries his emotions on his sleeve. I just, I really enjoy Seth. Um, and also he has like one of the best laughs in the world. Like if you've ever heard Seth laugh, it's pretty freaking great. But I also got to learn a lot about a couple of things. So if you look at the Pro Tour and like you look at the coverage of it, the obvious thing that people are going to cover is the Breakout deck, right? They're going to cover Rakdos Vamps, the work that Sam Pardee and T put into that deck. And then, you know, you know, winning the event, right? But it the thing that, one of the things that I see, also, do I need to roll it back? I talked about Kane's record. Was Jason Yee on your team too? Yeah, Jason, Jason I'm is I'm so sorry. Record. I, I Kane... anti myself also did amazing. My bad. Anyway, uh, is it Phoenix, like, for a deck that was, like, one of the, I'll just say, like, what I heard going into this event. And I'm kind of curious if this lines up with you. There were specific decks. Blue Eye Control was crushing it online. Uh, and Blue and Amalia Combo had no bad matchups outside of Blue Eye Control. And, I mean, that's what the data said. And then, Is It Phoenix was the most consistent deck. Is that accurate from, like, your testing house? Like, going into testing... Yeah, I mean, I think that the reality on things was that, like, the Amalia deck had too much, like, had, since the last time the farm had really been checked in on, in a, in a had pressure on it, at the RC, Amalia had become a more known quantity and was getting hated out by more, more decks had better plans, and Amalia's positioning had fallen a bit, because Amalia, because no, no one's putting in the works to try to innovate Amalia and, like, actually sort it out because there's not the pressure on it. So as it was, like the blue white matchups, like the blue white decks were good against Amalia to a concerning degree to play Amalia, but like and Phoenix was just like a very very solid good deck that we felt like most people would be gravitating like gravitating towards, and then like you know we didn't want to play blue white because we felt like it was too exploitable with where it was, hence leading to our our innovations. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that you guys landed on your your team landed kind of where I think that they should in a lot of different ways. Where you know, as I heard people talking about blue white, I I think that listen, I think that blue white in the right circumstances is really good. I think that no more lies is a legitimate addition to the deck. I think that you know. We finally have a dig-through-time deck in Pioneer, which just has not been true. Uh, and the fact that it gets to be true, it, it's pretty cool. Like, that's it's a cool thing. That being said, like, I expected Lotusfield to get more hate. Like, I, I'm always surprised when Lotusfield does really well. Because it's it, it, to me, it feels like such an easy deck to hate out. That I, but I really undervalued Archmage's Charm, which is funny because it's like I think it's just one of the sweetest cards ever. Uh, really, just seeing that card, the utility of that card, and what it did for these decks all weekend was impressive. The other thing is, is 
We had Lotus Field on. Did you listen? I actually don't want to know this, Abe. Did you listen? Do you know that I top four to a 1K with uh, with a yeah, team team event and we had Lotus Field on our team? Yeah. Oh, okay. You did listen. I love you. You're such a good co-host. So, like, we what one of the things that – one of the big misses that we had is we didn't have Fae of Wishes. And that, I think, changes that deck a lot. Yeah, I think that like the Lotus, the Lotus heads figured it figured it out in a big way, and I think Archer's Charm is just like this is Archer's Charm makes the most sensible fit in a Lotus field for many reasons. A triple green is a trivial thing for the deck to accomplish, and B, so many of the cards you want to have access to in your pre and post cyborg games are just creatures. Like we had to have plans for like. Dragonlord Dramokas and everything and like it, it, it's it's a lot. The deck is yeah. very, very good at, at using that card. One of the matches that I didn't get to finish in our Team 1K, like I don't know if it was turn 3 or I think it was turn 3 we had a Niv-Mizzet and a, a, a like the and, and a Dramoka in play. Like the the deck does some crazy stuff now because you get to both change like how you're playing your main deck, and then with Fae Wishes, it goes it goes even harder. So it, it's it's really cool to kind of see that. So that that's kind of my viewer experience. Um, other than the fact that I is Simon Nelson the luckiest human in the world? Like I don't know if you got to watch any of those matches because you were playing, Abe. But like the number of times where it's like, all right, I guess he drew lethal. I guess he drew lethal. I guess he drew lethal. All the while, like, we, we've all played against Boris Heroic. Like, in a world of, of, of is it Phoenix and Rakdos midrange, this deck should not be doing well. And uh, he, he made it look effortless. I mean, did you... I don't know if it was talked about on the stream at all or if people saw it on Twitter, but Simon Nielsen almost missed the draft portion on day one. I might have missed that. I'm sure they were making on day one. They were making the, the like announcements and everything, and yeah. they like had everyone seated. And they were like, "Where's Simon?" And one of his teammates, they're like, we're, "We're looking for Simon Nielsen." One of his teammates was like calling him on the phone, uh, like talking to like the head judge while they're making announcements. Like, we're not going to hold this for another more than a couple of minutes. He comes running down. I guess he like needed to get his badge or something, or like he was at like a badge checkpoint. And he had like biked the owner. It was something crazy. Where, like he was running so far behind that he like was within a hair, it felt like. Like, maybe if he wasn't Simon Nielsen, uh, you know, he might have just missed the draft portion and, and like, been dropped from it. <laughs> the so for him to go that... from that to the finals is, like, the most Simon Nielsen story ever. So maybe he, maybe he is the luckiest human. Maybe that actually... He might be. I mean, you have to be the top eight four pro-level events in a row, to be fair. Yeah, and, and great. You know, I'm not taking that away, but... My learnings, I, I feel like I've covered some of them. I I think that for for the pioneer section, I think this format's wide open. I think that everybody who's been complaining about it for the last like, you know, two months is like off the rocker. I I will say that uh, I've been working on a, a working with my friend today while I was at work just texting, uh, Matt Kling. Actually, I'll just announce it. We're going to do green white devotion. Versus Rakdos Vampires for Constructed Clash this week. So, like, 
you know, I, I think the format's pretty open. There's lots of ways to, especially because the Vampire's deck, like, you, uh, there's a pretty clear thing when you look at it, and as somebody who's played it, uh, there's a pretty clear problem with the deck where, like, you have one bitter triumph for your big kill spell. That's it. That's all you got. That's all I need the list had. Yeah, that deck's going to, it does need some adaptation yeah. from where so like, knowing coming into the Pro Tour where no one's deck can change right, after yeah. you're playing with matches against that, but like it is ahead of the curve. It does have room to adapt. Yeah, so, and and to be fair, like it's got the red-black shell, so like there's tons of room to adapt. Like those duresses, they are not going to stay in the main deck. You're going to need answers rather than, you know, discard spells for a little while and stuff like that. But I I love it. I, I think that uh, Pioneer's super cool. I want to talk about standard though, because we did standard last week, and I think we crushed it. I think that if you listened to constructive criticism, I basically told people to play blue white, and that the literal four playable decks were blue white, uh, Esper mid range, Domain ramp, and uh, Boros. That was it. Like that's what you should play. And, you know, Demir Midrange jumped in there, did a little bit better than Boros. But if you just listened to this podcast, I I feel like Mason and I really gave an in-depth guide of, like, what's happening in this format? Why is it happening? What are you doing? And the people that got the most punished, to be completely honest, were the people not ready for blue-eye control. And the people that got the most rewarded were the... Demir mid-range players that were ready for blue-white control. That matchup actually gets really hard once those those Demir players are ready for the matchup. Yeah, I think, like, I don't know, for me, kind of watching it from a different angle, I also want to say shout-out to two of the players um, in the top eight. Jarvis Yu, friend of the show, who's been on yeah, uh, as a guest, guest of ours before, squeaking in at eighth, in eighth place with Domain. But also um, Jeffrey Carr, personal friend of mine for a long time, just a young player and younger player in uh, our area for a long while, been trying for many years to get on the Pro Tour, um, having a really innovative take on, not innovative, but a really up-to-date and well-built take on Esper, just doing um, really well. But like, the story for me was these kind of sell-tie, self-mill decks. So do you want to talk about the first place deck? I mean, it's really hard to talk about because I played and watched. I watched a little of it because I was watching Jarvis play out um, uh, the the quarters. Yes, I was watching him play out the, the the quarters. It was right in the like PT play area at the event. So like on day on Sunday, they had the limited PTQ top thirty two where my friend AJ was in the top thirty two and doing his draft and then playing his match. The quarterfinals and semifinals and the ultimate finals, the standard you know, 75k, and the, the rebound PTQ all in the same area, so it was, like, really sick to be able to, like, walk around and bird and see all this stuff happen once. Um, and the deck looked really, really, really powerful, and I don't know how it is the case that Slogurk is just the best card, in, the most powerful card in Standard, but that's what it seems to be the case of, is that that card is just so, so, so good, and, uh, you know, CFT Sock is, the, I think, the best deck builder in the game. Maybe the most innovative deck builder in the game right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can't, you can't argue with the result. And, you know, despite myself and many others questioning 68 over 69, you know, like, you have reasons for what you do. And I think that's great. 
I, I, I will say, like, Sloger has put the coolest part of this standard format into play, where you have blue-white control, you have, you know, a multitude of mid-range decks, depending on what you want to do. Boros, Gruul, or Mono-Red Splash Green won a challenge this weekend. Mono-Red, Aggro decks. Um, you know, you've got Tempo decks in Demir and in uh, Soldiers and Blue-White. And then you have straight-up combo decks uh, in the form of Slogurk decks. And other than, like, traditional ramp, every archetype is covered in the standard format. Every single I, mean, I would say arguably domain functions somewhere. No, no, you're actually right. You know what? You're right. Actually, I would say you're right in that every single archetype is covered. Like, straight up, this might be one of the best standard formats of all time. Yeah, I do think it's really, the like, not only the Slogurk stuff, but also, like, um, Brian Zhang's deck from the top eight with, like, what's called Squirming Emergence, uh, which is one green-black, like, return a non-land permanent from your graveyard with maybe like, less than equal to them or permanents in your graveyard, which is a bunch of, like, sweet self-mill enablers and, like, Descend. So, so this this deck has been... I don't like calling this... This is Sultai Reanimator. I really hate that they call this Sultai Control. But it, it is another combo deck. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, like, the combo decks emerging as a way to prey on the fact that the blue-white decks are so good and some of the mid-range yeah. decks are kind of falling out of favor. It's just really cool to see so many archetypes present and see it all coalesce. Like, I, yeah. I, I agree the format's in a really good place. I've even been saying, as someone who, like, for the RC and for um, the PT, was playing a bunch of modern Pioneer that I was jealous of getting to play standard because standard I think is the best format in magic right now. No, I, I think, the best constructed format to be playing. I think, I think it is. We're really lucky for it to be standard season. And uh, yeah, uh, that that's kind of my thoughts and learnings from that. We talked about pioneer. We talked about, you know, standard. I want to ask though, you have a tournament tomorrow. What pioneer deck are you playing? What standard deck are you playing? If I have a pioneer tournament tomorrow, I mean, just on how much I like playing the Jeskai Creativity deck and how much I do believe in it, I think it might need some tuning to be able to handle the Rakdos Vampires deck because those decks are so tuned against Blue Dex decks that I might hold off. Like, I'd want to play it, but I might play Rakdos Vampires instead just because I think it is still in a phase where it's not being taken over. I think outside of that, Phoenix is a good choice. I'd personally play Creativity again. I love playing with those cards. It's hard to pry Lightning Helix and Fairy Five, and also like Fable and Atraxa and all that stuff from my from my hands. When I have the opportunity to do it, had a great time playing it. In standard, I would probably play that Soltai deck because I think that deck is very, very, very strong. The the Reanimator one or the sixty eight card one. If I had to play tomorrow, I would play the Reanimator one. Okay, if I had yeah. to play a deck after a hyperbolic team. Time chamber session, maybe I'd figure out how like how to not have sixty eight cards in your deck. Well, no, just how to Gurk. I'm not I'm not well versed in the Gurk, and unfortunately I'm not even gonna be playing any of the standard format until the RC anyway. Um sure. because I have already queued. So it's like really I'm looking forward to taking a month or so to play a lot less and and kind of scale back and uh, and rest after after the sprint I've been in. So for me, I as of this exact second, 
And after having way too many conversations about it today, I would probably play Green Devotion in Pioneer. So that's really interesting. I spent a lot of time working on Green Devotion. I would be very intrigued to see what your list is. I'll send you some stuff. One, I think that... So, I think that, like, every deck right now is weak to... A, a you know, a, a Soren putting in a... A Vayner Ripper. I just think that... As somebody who's done it a bunch now, like... Uh, yeah, that's that's not fair. If I wasn't going to play that, I would play... I, I, I do have an updated list of... Of that tune for both the Mirror... Um, and Phoenix, and the fact that you're already favored against decks like Hidden Strings combo, like, it's it's a tough deck to beat. For Standard, like, I played a lot of Blue-White. Um, you know, I, I've been touting Blue-White, what is this, the fourth week on the show? They've been like, hey, like, this deck is real, you should play it. And then second week I said it, third week the... You know, another podcast said it that's, you know, is popular, you know, maybe, maybe got Jerry T on it. And then this week I'm like, hey, I've been saying this. I've been doing this. Um, Bluet, Bluet has some weaknesses. I, I had to get really unlucky to, I think, not win the RCU this weekend. In like kind of different ways. I think that. If you are a Magic player who is really good at flowcharts, you should play blue-white in Standard. If you are a Magic player that likes asking questions, I think you should stop playing Boros. Um, I think that Boros has some problems, and then if you cannot fix the problems against four decks like blue-white, and I don't even know if you're favored against Domain right now, you're going you're gonna to struggle. However, I think faster decks like a mono red and red splash green, which won the challenge, are really interesting to me because I think they are blue white favored. And as if your events are going to be like a bunch of domain and blue white, and then that's great. Uh, that is not what Utah's metagame was, by the way. I <laughs> we had more shells reds than I've ever seen in a tournament uh, at ours. But yeah, that I, I think that like, I'd either be on blue-white or I would be on, I, th I think gruel, man. Like, I, I think like really heavy spell gruel. So I've, I've shown you the deck that won the challenge. And this, I, I, I have played this deck today. Uh, all, literally 100% of my matches in the last two days have been this or vampires and i'm not gonna lie man like scamp is so much better than every red one drop in the red deck that makes you want to play this but like the red deck card quality is so much higher than this deck it's it's kind of like this this tug and pull i had multiple matches today that i lost where 40 percent of my deck killed my opponent looking at 40 plus percent looking at um just you know the the untapped GG stuff, and one of the things I really like about this, but whereas like the tricks deck was like I get to play play with fire in the main, I get to play with witch doctor frenzy in the main, and let me tell you how insane 
Fugitive Codebreaker is compared to the cards that I was playing before in the style of deck. It's like you go from like a like a three to like a nine. Yeah, I mean, looking at this deck, I think there's a couple things going on. One is that the mana is so much better than the Fictic Ruiner decks. By way of not having to play a bunch of like single green spells to protect your Ruiners. And two, this deck draws a ton of its deck and has a ton of like cheap, fast impact cards. And I think, like, kind of to your point about, oh, everything's really represented and like maybe it's time to get off of Convoke. Um, right. And like the mid range decks have kind of gotten eaten up by the fact that not only is Domain here, but the uh, control decks are like Bullet Controls is cropping up. And now these like really unfair um, over the top decks are, are popping up is that. It really matters how you're attacking the format right now. There are some very strong answers and some very strong threats, and playing the right mix of threats to beat the mix of answers that are out there is really important, and this deck looks like it does that really well. It's so good against sweepers, which is the backbone of why blue-white is so good right now, and it has so much natural and innate card advantage that it seems like it would pretty easily outvalue most uh, most decks trying to operate in its space. Yeah, I think that, like... Overwhelm decks that excel at playing, like, one good card a turn. Like, this should not have a problem with kind of having a two-for-one itself on a uh, creature, for example. Yeah, so I, I definitely have killed creatures with, like, multiple shocks in this deck. So I think there's, like, two types of mid-range decks that people are playing, and it's actually really interesting in the standard format, where, like, you have your classic mid-range decks that might be, like, Rakdos and green-black, right? It's very clear, by the way, that you should not play Rakdos midrange. It's just, like, actually not a good deck. The green-black midrange deck is really good against all the other midrange decks. Like, if you want to beat blue-white, blue-black, you know, whatever midrange pile somebody's playing, green-black is going to beat it, Right? This deck is also really bad against green-black. However, it's really good against the other mid-range decks, right? Blue-white and blue-black are like, oh my gosh, this is actually too much. I can't keep up with this. This also is fast enough to crush things like Domain. So you're in that camp. Like you said, it's really good against Sweepers. It's This is why this standard format is so good. Is you know We're talking about a deck that like, what does this cost? This is a 39 ticks. 39 ticks on MDGO. When was like when was the last time we talked about a $39 deck in standard? Uh yeah, I mean that's that's the era we live in, honestly. It's a great time to be a standard player. And uh, you know, $139 tabletop. I already bought the previous version of this deck. I, I just wanted to call it out. I, I think that it needed it on this episode. So that's standard. Is there anything else you'd like to call out before we wrap this podcast up? We went a little long. I didn't expect this one. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot. We talked about two of the biggest events that have happened in the year and probably will happen until the next Magic Con. Like, yeah. it's kind of the cool thing. But the sad, like, I don't know, bittersweet thing about having Magic Cons now and, and not really having so many, like, a GB circuit is that we get all the events to talk about it once across a bunch of formats, but they all happen at once. Lots to say. It is it is hard to cover on a podcast, right? Like where you're like, oh, I really wish that I could cover the 75K, but I also have to cover the Pro Tour. 
and they happened the same day. And for one, I'm sure that's really fun. Like, I, I have not been to one yet. Maybe I'll go to Vegas. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, my... I don't want to get too much into, like, you know, the details of, like, the event and, and like, stuff. But I really just want to say, personally, it meant a lot. And I said this in the Discord, too. It meant a lot from all the patrons who I knew were, were cheering me on and were vocal about it. Um, all the, the people back home, you know, my, my playgroup locally. And just all, all the people I know have been really um, fan supportive of me as I had a, a chance to make a run at a PT again. And, um, you know, personally, I kind of sat with, uh, like, the in the days leading up to the event that like the the like weight of the gap between my 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 last PT appearance and this one and kind of what that felt like what that meant of like the amount of time since I started playing competitive magic to qualifying for my first pro tour the same amount of time minus the covid years the MPL era was like not possible to qualify for a pro tour really uh, minus those two years the same amount of time that from like that pro tour qualification to this one and really just to succeed in those eras and to still be playing, you know, even now I feel like better magic in a lot of ways than I was at that time and just continue to improve and continue to feel better and better about how I play. It just has meant a lot. And the whole experience is great. Um, but really it, the things that make the whole experience mean so much to me is knowing that there are people out there who, um, you know, cared and wanted me to succeed and, and hearing that from my friends who were there and, you know, having them come up uh, when they were there, like waiting on their 75k rounds and checking in on me and like all those things, even as I had a rough day, uh, rough day at the range was, um, it was just awesome. You know, uh, pro tours, pro tours are awesome. Hope to make it back. Hope to, hope to be able to bring more, more great stories of it to, to the cast. But uh, you hear that? He was staying with him. He's not going anywhere. He's he's gonna <laughs> qualify for more pro tours and be here with me. That's going to do it for the main episode. We do have a question from Austin on Patreon. Do you want to become a patron of $5 more? You can get access to the Patreon question. Can old decks like Mono White come back into standard because of some of the new cards? Like, I don't actually know what this card is. Still needs the Mythic that uh, costs two and a white and doubles triggers. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Uh, so I think that this is always yes across... I don't think this is just standard for what it's worth. Like we we saw we saw a complete resurgence of blue white because of two cards. We saw deduce, no more lies, and boom, blue white's a standard deck. That's it, right? Uh, we saw in Pioneer we saw a six drop vampire get printed that they could cast because of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So that you're not like, you know, doing something weird. You know, it, before the deck was playing a five mana vampire that was like fine. Like cards, yeah. Yeah, Jason cards. But like, you know, when when you looked at the deck, you could, you know, because of Fable of the Mirror you could discard it like boom, six mana vampire, all of a sudden swords playable. We we got Pioneer covered, right? In modern, we've also seen it. Right? Like we you know, I mean, modern, we've seen it a lot of times, right? Where different things happen and stuff. I think that to answer the Patreon question specifically, though, because we're in a three-year standard format, I thought Mono White was playable about, like, five weeks ago, for example. I, I don't know if that's where we're at now. 
So Mono White was occupying like the control slot in a lot of ways where it was like trying to one for one you a bunch or like hold down the ground until it board wiped, right? And there's just not a reason to commit to the board to do that when you have things like deduce and no more lies. I kind of take a different angle on answering this question because I think my answer is going to be better for longer saying this. Can old decks come back to standard because of new cards? The answer is always yes. I would say... That's what I said. How is that a different answer? I'm getting there. Okay. (laughs) Give me a second. Is your specific example of the the cards you're talking about um, bringing back the archetype that you think might have a chance? Why don't you do it? Why don't you try? Like, I think that if you think it makes sense for the deck that perform, like, right, you know what the deck you're envisioning and used to be good did and what the cards that were doing it did. Or if you don't know that uh, and why it was as good as did or how it operated, maybe take some time to study that before you go and take the time to rebuild the deck with these new cards to make sure you understand what kind of space you're operating in. But sure, show me. Because I, I don't know, you know, I haven't played with these cards you're talking about um, in the standard format. I don't see other people doing it, you know, but that doesn't mean other people haven't tried it. I don't think other people tried to play 68 card Slogurk, uh, you know, and that just won the 75k handily. It won, I believe CFT Sock lost the first round. That they is, lost the first is, round to Convoke and won every other round they didn't draw. That is correct. So, um, you know. I don't think anyone else tried to do that. Uh, I don't know if anyone's tried to play Mono White with Delny and Temple players. I, I what you're asking about. I don't. Try I, it. I don't. How's your answer possible. different than mine? How's your answer different than mine? Because because I think I don't want to answer any specifics. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't have an opinion on this. I don't sure. have an opinion on what. Well, I don't deign oh. to have an opinion. I think probably the cards don't line up. But like, I don't know. I think that if you're asking this question, a better thing to do or like good follow-up to this question is to go and do some of the work yourself. These are the kinds I of questions it. that are great to follow up with your own work. Because if you believe in it, you should try it. And you will get better from doing it. Yeah, I would just say watch watch Concerned Clash next week. Right? Like, you know, we, we already talked about like a ridiculous deck that I mean, I just said green-white devotion, right? And Abe is like, what is what does that mean? Like, what is this, what does that even mean, Spencer? And I, I think that so often one of the things that I, I've gotten worse at in Magic is believing in myself, right? Like, there's so many times where like you you do something, you believe in it, and people they're people are just gonna tear you down. We saw the tweets about vampires this weekend right like a lot of people eating a lot of words yeah like people it was so funny to see but like just believing yourself like um also just shout out again to next level magic i think we shouted out that book a bunch on this podcast but like it talks about this type of stuff this 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 type of concepts so you know go read that um, show wrap up really quick. You can join the conversation, but join the Patreon Discord and the public Discord. Uh, both of them have great access. Patreon Discord is $5 a month. Patreon.com slash CCMTG. You can also leave a YouTube comment. If you do, it really does help the show. 
probably more than you could expect. As far as the YouTube algorithm is concerned, Abe, comments are the number one. The number one thing. You're like, oh, I liked the podcast. Like, I helped it. It's like, actually, you could not like the show and leave a comment, and it would catapult it is the, the algorithm. It is the only way YouTube has to know that anyone is actually engaging with the video. Yep. So, you know, that's why we've done YouTube comments for so long. Honestly, like, I removed YouTube comment segment from the show. Uh, if you want to bring it back, leave a comment. That's that's where I'm at. Leave a comment. I'll good re- comments get read. Yeah. That's good, all. I, if, yeah. There will be the segment if there are comments. Yep. Straight up, I have removed it from the show notes until we hit those comments back. But like, I know that when I, you know, I talk about saving puppies or otters, or you know, the fact that you know, little ostriches, you know, have you seen a little ostrich, Abe? I have. Dude, they're the cutest thing, and they turn into monsters. Like, I don't know if you've ever been next to an they're ostrich. Like dinosaurs. Yeah, they're dinosaurs. But, like, little baby ostrich, the cutest thing. Every comment you leave means that that little ostrich won't turn into a human killer. Because, like, obviously that ostrich is going to kill somebody. So, uh, you can also go to Twitter, at CCMTG. You can also check out Drafting Archetypes. And then the rest of the Heasy Game Media stuff, that's... We'll, we'll cover that later. But, uh, yeah. If you want the full trifecta, or it's actually more than that. Like, comment, subscribe, review. That's it. Do that. The show will improve. The show will get more listeners and we'll be able to do more. But before we do that, Abe, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Uh, now that I am no longer deep in the Pro Tour, I am uh, you know, available for coaching to help you achieve at the level that you uh, are trying to achieve. I'm probably booking for dates starting in like mid to late next month uh, or April. I've got some things I need to sort out um, and also some clients I've been working with over the course of the time previous that I want to make sure I have time to, to prioritize getting back into my um, into my routine. But yeah, I would, would love to take on uh, a couple more people if there are people out there interested. Yeah. How about you, Spencer? Yeah, I'm just going to cover coaching really quick because last week I said I was done and then... Uh, after looking at my work schedule, I reached out to a couple people that I had already coached. And I just want you to know that, like, if you were like, oh, he reached out to me and then I listened to the episode, that you're good. Like, I I had the spots available that I reached out to. Um, and then I, I forwarded everybody on to Mason. So, uh, but I will also say, like, you know, you can follow me at He's a Game. You can also just check out the other stuff I do. Uh, I did a... It's not posted yet, but, like, by the time this is posted, you'll probably see Mandalorian uh, episode of the Need to Nerd podcast where we review nerdy stuff. If you love magic, you might love the Mandalorian. We talk in-depth about, like, the problems with the newest season as well as things that we love. Uh, I don't think that it will happen before this podcast is posted, but uh, I had to main Roy for a month in Smash Bros., because we challenged each other on Smash Through to pick each other's mains on the things that we thought would help the other person the most. 
to improve at Smash. And so for me, Macklin picked Roy, which is like one of the fastest characters in the game that cannot play the way that I typically play. And then I picked somebody with like a really weird recovery for Matt uh, that also has trouble killing. And we're going to play each other in a best of five and then talk about what we learned for the last month before going back to our mains before the, the biggest Smash tournament either of us are going to play. So it's, it's it's uh, you know, per- poetic timing, but uh, those are kind of like the two other podcasts that I do. And then uh, on this on this channel, Abe, I uh, we do uh, a, a little series called Constructed Clash that was invented by me and Mason and uh, that Matt and I are continuing. Uh, and next week, the next one will be Rakdos Vampires versus uh, Mono... Or not Mono Green. Green, Green White Devotion. Green White Devotion. It's so hard to like remember that. You can also follow Mason at Mason E. Clark. And you can email him at MasonEClark at gmail.com for coaching. Just leave coaching in the description. That is going to do it. Hey, what did you learn on the show this week? I don't know. Roy's your boy. Dude, it, uh, can I can I go off of this for a second? Sure. You, is, it's been a long podcast, but like, so one of the things that I really liked about Smash, playing characters like Wolf, K. Rule, like the characters that I played, right, is that I, it was like a turn-based game at super speed, right? When you play a character who is like Roy, it... That is not how it works. You get multiple turns until you mess up. And then your turn then ends. And you have to know that you messed up to stop your opponent from getting a free time walk. Is basically how it works. And that's that's kind of hard to do. Um, so for one, I already have bad reaction time. Like, if you take like those reaction tests, like I already... And it's why Matt picked it for me. Um, However, I will say that Roy and Krom, who are shadow characters of each other, echo characters, are probably in my top six characters now. Like, I I really did dedicate myself to learning this new thing, this hard thing. And I I treated it kind of like, if you watched my streams back in the day of, like, learning Mono Red or learning Aggro Dex or learning... I'm going to do a stream of learning combo decks probably this year on the YouTube channel. It is the same way. Like I really treated it that way where it was like, dude, this character's really fast doing like these specific things. And it really did help my other characters. Like, uh, I, I play a lot of Greninja who's like a really fast character and he, he plays more turn-based than Roy does outside. But like his turns are fast. Like, so you can string something together, end your turn, right? Where Roy doesn't do that, right? He wants to... It's almost like you want to take every single action in a game of Magic and don't let your opponent take any actions. Like, they they don't get an action. And it is also not how I play Magic. So, uh, for context, one of my favorite characters to play is Pokemon Trainer, which is a character that plays... It's a really fast character a mid-range character, and a heavy character. And what was really funny is my former co-host of, of Neatern was like, this is just Teamer. Spencer literally 
is just playing Teamer in Smash. And that's, like, it's just his thing. Like, that's that's how he wants to play all games all the time, so. The thing you said about, like, your characters being turn-based, I think is really, really, it sparked something. I think we've talked about it before. Um, but, like, turn-based, like, platform fighter emulator, kind of. Um, yeah, we, yeah we, talk, only, we talk about it on the show a lot, where, like... Your only move is Hustle? Yeah. Where, oh, wait, did we talk about this? Your only move is Hustle? It's, like, an open... It's I, like an, it's, I don't know this. Tell me. Okay, so it's a game. It's, like, actually, it's called... I'm looking up on Itch, because I was like, what is the name of this? Because I, I, my friends play it, and they play a lot of, like, uh, different fighting games, and they like it a lot. But, like, it is a... Um, you can, like, play it as a two-player turn-based fighter. Oh, wow. Um, that sounds various cool. Various things where, like, you can set, like, a time limit on putting in your next, like, input, like, window, and then you put in your inputs for, like, that window, and then it plays out, and you can do that, like, at, until, like, people take enough damage or whatever so it's um really interesting way to think about um and like drill the skills of like okay what is it that i'm expecting my opponent to do dude that why? sounds so cool Will you yeah. i'll send you a link yeah. send me a link. i'll put it in the show notes too because i know that people there there are people that hate it when i talk about smash on constructive criticism and then there are people like spencer more smash like tell us like what you've been learning and i'll, I'll just say this like I said this on private Twitter, and I'll just say it now before the end of the show, but, like, uh, my son is already getting sponsorship offers for Smash Bros. Because he's so young, people see his potential. And if that's going to happen, I have to move into, like, a coaching role for him so that he can do that. And so my Smash Bros. will just basically disappear uh, and I'll be a magic player again and a smash coach uh, for my son. But I, 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 I'm i excited for it. Yeah, thank you for letting me talk about that, by the way. It's, it's always fun. Also, so what did you learn? Well, my, my, my learning there is like... That also happens in magic sometimes. For what it's worth. Where you have... You, you have... You have decks that are trying to make it so your opponent can't take a turn. They can't take an action. And, you know, doing that at high speeds is one thing, but, like, breaking it down into, okay, like, what can... I mean, honestly, I think a lot of us are trying to do that in Magic, right? Where we're trying to reduce our opponent's total number of actions that they could take, right? Like, break it down to as simple as something as this, Abe, where... You're playing an aggressive deck. You have a combat trick. And you don't want to play that combat trick while your opponent can interact with it. You want to play it where it deals four damage, right? Or you want to play it where it kills a creature. And so you're trying to reduce their interaction points to your interaction points so that you get to take the most actions. And what's funny is that Magic, historically, was a turn-by-turn game. They got about card advantage and you know life totals and you know all these different things and in the last like five years it actually has become a more action-based game where like if i can take like 17 game actions to your five i'm actually probably winning yeah action economy is definitely not like and, that, and i think that's just like tempo a bit as expressed in smash specifically right like 
is the ability for you to take more actions and land more moves or whatever over the course of a game is just like yeah i mean you look right, at the more it, time you spend putting your opponent in hits done the the more opportunity you have well think about it in a deck like like boros convoke right where i which which token am i supposed to interact with am i supposed to interact with your tokens if i don't they're just going to turn into actions later like that like between your resources and it it's very interesting uh i the I don't know if like other people have done the the comparatives between magic and fighting games. I, I think platform fighters probably fit better than regular fighting games because like so much of that is memorizing inputs and like stuff like that. Whereas like platform fighters become much more turn based. But it is it is very interesting. Yeah. I mean we've talked on the show before about and we can move on from fighting games after this, but like yeah. we've talked before about like the concept of neutral and i think platform fighter neutral is a lot more like magic neutral where you use yes. posturing as a way to yep. um to limit your opponent's options and then use that to your advantage and that's that's pretty pretty cool so what did you learn on the show this week what did i learned on the show this week oh, that was it you what you said what i said yes you just copied me no well no i just <laughs> it reminded me of this learning use I, i'm trying to remember exactly what you said uh, but it reminded me that magic is not always turn-based. Like, that sometimes it's interaction-based. Right? And that, that, I think that's weird for some players. Where limiting your opponent's interactions is really what you're trying to do. I think if cards like Silence out of, out of uh, the, the mod, like, we just had that big modern tournament, right? Where cre- creativity had a bunch of silences in the sideboard. The, the only reason to do that is to limit your opponent's interactions, right? Like, you're, you're just saying, no, you don't get to interact now, it's my turn. And I think that playing somebody like Roy in Smash, sorry, this is, like, so long-winded, is, is what that taught me, is, is that magic doesn't have to be Jund versus Grixis. Like, that's not what magic has to be. Magic can be whatever the parameters of the current format say that it can be and what you can do. Um, and that, I think, is sometimes hard for people. You know, they play a lot of limited, they learn mid-range mirrors. They play a lot of standard, they learn really low power level stuff. They play a lot of modern, they expect games to go really fast and to like win with like minimal resources. You play a lot of legacy you expect, you know, it's it scales, right? And the truth is, is that the decks that tend to do the best, uh, you know, such as this weekend, you put a 6-5 into play that demands you have a creature in play to even kill it, uh, suddenly you've shut off X number of decks in the format. They don't get to interact with this thing. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Leave a comment, leave a like, leave a subscription, and we'll see you all next time with another episode of Constructive Criticism.